Welcome to Someday is Now, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a space and place to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to Someday Is Now. I'm so excited to introduce to you yet another fabulous Asian American woman, a leader, and today's guest is Michelle Kim McCoy. She is Korean American. She is an actor, a photographer, a brand new mom. So when we taped this interview, she was still pregnant, but she has since welcomed her son and we will Uh, hopefully be able to um, link up not only her acting reel over at our website um, vivianmabuni.com under the Someday Is Now tab but hopefully a picture of the sweet little baby Um, I I just really enjoyed my conversation with Michelle Uh, she is um, a rising star and incredibly talented and so much fun to be around and um, if you go on Instagram and see she takes she not only takes beautiful photos um, photos of her are just so beautiful too so it's really a joy to have her I appreciated her exploration of the this idea of um, being in a predominantly white environment and kind of being the only one, uh, the only Asian and feeling like there's only room for one. Um, and this feeling proud of being whitewashed a lot of times um, I've seen in my own life and in the life of a lot of Asian American women that when they grow up in a predominantly white environment, their desire to fit in causes them to want to uh, be seen as a banana, yellow on the outside and white on the inside. So, or a Twinkie, that's another term that we often use. But uh, just hearing about her identity crisis, um, uh, being one of the few Asians to coming to a to a campus where there was a majority Asian and how that affected her and and then we talked about her marriage uh, she is uh, blessed to be in a mixed marriage her husband is half black and half Jewish and so she goes into um, sharing about what that was like with her Korean parents and the struggles that that was that that produced but also um, some of the healing that's taken place so it's really a great conversation I cannot wait for you to listen to our conversation today's did you know is on Korean American history and the very first Korean American that arrived uh, in the United States was in 1885 Um, Philip Jason I don't think I am uh, uh, pronouncing his name correctly 
I apologize to all my Korean American sisters. But he came in 1885 as a political exile, and he became the first Korean to be naturalized as a U.S. citizen. And he also became the first Korean American medical doctor, as well as an influential political reformer in Korea when he returned home in 1896. So that is the very first Korean American. Did you know? Welcome to this episode of Some Days Now. I am so thrilled to have today with us uh, the wonderful, wonderful Michelle Kim McCoy. And Michelle, really quickly, as I shared earlier, she is an actor, a model. She does photography. Uh, she just does all of everything and is expecting her first baby uh, on my birthday. So I'm kind of hoping for that. <laughs> So anyway, Michelle, share with us a little bit, um, maybe just how we know each other, and then yeah. I would love to hear your ethnic journey. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I think we officially connected via Instagram, right? Yes. Um, but I shared with you in person um, that I had actually, it was a full circle story because I think... Um, I literally looked up on Google Asian American Christian female speaker, author, writer, like just human. Right. <laughs> and so, and cause I think I was just like, man, like who in like, who in the Christian community is just like crushing it as an Asian American woman. And, um, and so I, I looked that up. And I'm pretty sure the first article that came up was, and I, I, I wish I could pull it up right now, was like like Asian-American Christian female? Or do you remember that article? <laughs> yes, do, you, yes. do you know what I'm talking about? I totally know <laughs> what you're talking about. It is. It's like the, it's the Asian-American, I think it's like Asian, period, American, period, Christian, period, woman, period. And it's like... Yes. Like living in four different, like four varying different um, worlds and that sometimes have, yes. you know, some clashes with values, you know, and what does that really right. mean are kind of different. So, yes, that is an article that I read. Yeah, and so I, I remember um, just being blown away because each of those keywords, if you will, descriptors, um, have such loaded implications that I never put together. And um, so I realized I was like, oh, wow, this is really r rare. And, but furthermore, I didn't realize how rare it was for me to um, get as much value out of that article as I did, um, mainly because I'm like, oh, I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know like that, this voice could be had, you know, it, it wasn't, I never felt deprived of it, but it's just once I saw it out there, I was like, Oh, why is this such a, why is this such a weird um, experience for me? What's like triggering inside of me? It was almost like it was awakening um, something mm -hmm. that existed. And so, um, that's so that interesting. That you yeah. Well, that's so yeah. interesting you mentioned that because over the years, as I've interacted with different, women, you know, Asian American women, 
it's the there's a shared thread of experience, common experience. So it's, sometimes it's like putting the words to the experience, and there's like a, a validation, like, oh wow, this is something that I've probably just under the surface, you know, have been dealing with, but never had words to put to. Yeah, and so. That was my first intro to Miss Vivian Mabuni. And then um, and then I think I started following you on Instagram. And then um, uh, you, I think you spoke at IF for the first time. And I was just uh, now been hearing about IF. And I'm like, oh, like IF brings these sorts of women. And I follow this person. So she must be pretty credible. Or, you know, all this, like... It's like the overlap of association and stuff like that. And um, and then I think I remember specifically you called a Starbucks drink like your candy or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I responded and then you like responded back and then you started following me and I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, yeah. And then that's kind of, and then uh, we eventually met up. So, yeah, that's how we know each other, which is just really bizarre once you kind of put it into words that, hey, that's the world we live in. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, tell me about your ethnic journey. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I would definitely consider myself the, the trendy word right now, the multi hyphenate. Um, in that, like, I'm, I do a lots of, lots of things and they're mostly creative. Um, but in terms of my ethnic journey and the reason why I process with that is because the things I am involved in, um, are areas that aren't typical for my Asian American, like upbringing. And so I remember, um, so I'm Korean American parents, uh, born in they were born in korea and then moved to america when they were teens i think my mom in high school and dad in college so they spent more time in the states than they have in um korea and um both are college educated went to grad school and um my mom's a counselor she's a social worker or a retired social worker and my dad is a chemist and um i just remember from a very early age my mom like my my parents really just like instilling just the quintessential American dream and like you can do whatever you want um but your only options are really to be a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> um like but you can do whatever you want like <laughs> um but here are your options <laughs> and so um that was just like a normal thing and you know that's a very you hear that in lots of Asian American people's stories um and I just didn't do really well in school I mean I got by and but I just like had a really hard time focusing and um teachers would call me chatterbox and um I hated like practicing things um (laughs) doing homework and so um I remember like from a very young age I was very interested in all sorts of things and I think my mom caught on to that early on and her big thing was you know with this mentality of you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it um she always said you know if there's anything you want to do we can always try it but the caveat was that I couldn't quit and so because she was (laughs) like you don't just quit when things get hard um 
And so, unfortunately, unfortunately, I ended up delving into lots of uh, extracurricular activities because I have lots of interests. So at one point, I, I think from the age of six to 16, I was doing like 20 plus lessons a week because um, I would be like, oh, I want to I want to try dance. And then she would like enroll me in dance class. And then, you know, within dance, there's like ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, point, all these different forms. I'm like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. I want to try that. And so I would go to dance class. And then because I was Korean, I had to, like I had to do Taekwondo and get my black belt by the time I was 13. Okay. So time out with that really quick. (laughs) Did did your parents speak Korean to each other or did they speak English to each other? And did you speak Korean at home? Oh, so my parents spoke Korean to each other and English to me. So I have, I can understand Korean, but I can't, I can speak like a kindergartner. um, Mm -hmm. And, and like people who speak fluently would know that I don't speak fluently. Um, if they're interacting with me, that yes, kind of thing. Totally. totally. Um, okay. And it's so it's ironic because I can, I can read Korean text, but I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, like, because I know the alphabet. So like, so does that make sense? Like I yes. can pronounce words, but I don't know what I'm saying. It's that very odd. So fascinating. Yes. So yeah, yeah. because I don't have the vocabulary. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a fun fact. Um, so yeah, I basically was doing lots of activities in like in four different instruments, and <laughs> um, <laughs> and my mom would my mom both my parents worked full time and they would just like take me from activity to activity and then go home do her homework and then go to sleep and blah blah blah. So I I did that for ten years and like I um, I just like that was my life just busyness and. Um, and Did so, like a Korean yeah. community, or like, were you around other Koreans, or oh, what was sure. that like? Or did you do like Korean in the home, and then like, what was that like for you? Yeah, so I um, I went to a Korean church growing up, and then um, when I was about eleven, my mom actually pulled me out of the Korean church and took me to um, an American church, a local American church. And I'm pretty sure that was a very intentional choice on her end because um, just the church that we happened to be at was just very um, uh, adjective that comes to mind is like conniving, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, like very gossipy and, you know, and I'm sure like it's not just limited to this small Korean church, but um, I think my mom saw an opportunity to like, she, she like loved Jesus, she loves church, and so she was like, "Oh, I still can influence my daughter to like, you know, love Jesus as well." And so I think she could like ha- she has a better opportunity to do that at this American church. And so she would, so she would take me to. We would go to the Korean church, almost like show face, if you will, mm-hmm. and then she would take, and then she would take me to the American church for like the eleven o'clock service. <laughs> and um yeah so like i would do korean church and then do like youth group at the let's just call it a white church yes, um yes. And, um and yeah that's actually where my faith developed and so it really was like her her way of kind of like getting me in both worlds mm-hmm. um and that's always been i think her mentality is um 
like having just like uh, acknowledging the my roots but also being aware of like the community that we live in which and even the city that i grew up in it's i I grew up in bakersfield um it's predominantly caucasian and so um you know she wanted me to have a diverse community and her being a social worker i think also really informed the way that she raised my brother and i um, because, you know, she was dealing with all sorts of cultures and races. And, um, so from a very early age, and she didn't have the language for it back then, but mm-hmm. she would always say like, we're a colorblind home, you know, mm-hmm. like we're like, we don't see color and, um, which what doesn't really fly nowadays, but her, that was again in her way of just being like very inclusive of all cultures and communities. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think the generations, like I, um, like I found that my, my uh, father-in-law used to refer to Asians as Oriental, you know, which, you know, that's like not PC, but in his, and that's what he grew up calling Asians versus Oriental. So I would hear it and I would kind of go, (laughs) you know, so in the same way, like colorblind, you know, or just sure. The, some of the, it's sometimes generational too but absolutely so but yeah it's it's having it's having some of that so for you like growing up you know Bakersfield is is predominantly white but also there's you know diverse pockets and obviously your mom mm-hmm. you know intersecting with these different you know ethnic groups and different socioeconomic even and all of that like did you like, did you feel like Korean pride or was that something that you kind of tried to push down? Oh, I definitely pushed it down. I would easily, I was absolutely the token Asian of all my friends. Um, I, 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 it's not that even I wanted to be white. I think I was proud that I was, I was like, I'm the token Asian and so I'm going to own it and rock it. Like, I'm going to use this like to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like in that sense, and because there weren't a lot of Asian people around, um, it's not like that role was ever threatening, but even <laughs> just thinking about it now in my, like, like if I were to think back to 13 year old Michelle, like if there was another Asian girl who was like cool and hip and like, you know, spoke English fluently, like I'm like, find another group. <laughs> like, there's only room for one. <laughs> um, you know, and so um, I definitely, I uh, word that actually I, um, like, found pride in. I wouldn't say I had Korean pride, but I was, like, proud to be considered whitewashed. Mm. Does that make sense? Like I, I didn't. I would never have considered that being a bad thing. Mm. That being said, I was like superficially. Um, again, I would. I was very strategic of like what part of being Asian was cool and what wasn't. Mm. And so, like, like my lunches were not cool. Like my lunches were embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And so like I'm like mom I just freaking want a lunchable right. you know like a no meat and rice. yes like please no uh dried anchovies like I love I love them but no um <laughs> not at school and <laughs> but then like when it was like anytime it was cool is like when someone would be like, Oh, you're like my only Asian friend or like, Oh, I have an Asian friend. You know, like I was just like 
yeah, and again, it's so, but I'm like, I haven't really verbally processed this, um, a lot as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of silly to talk about, but, um, yeah, I kind of, I was very calculated of like when it was acceptable and what to like minimize. Totally. That I think that for, um, what I've observed over the years is that with Asians that grow up in a predominantly white environment, that what you just described, kind of like thinking through, sifting through, having to, you know, make decisions and, and almost like code switch and morph, you know, almost like a chameleon sometimes. Yeah. You know, that is a very yeah. common experience that I've, I've heard of for those. Absolutely. Like, like my husband growing up in Hawaii, you know, it was a non-issue as far as Asian part because the newscasters are Asian, the senators Asian, the you know everyone around is Asian. So there's just a an under there's a something that he grew up with that I did not growing up in white, you know, Colorado. Um, so it's very interesting to hear you sharing about. Yeah, and in contrast, that I think. When I went to college, I went to UC Irvine, which mm. Orange County has a large Asian population. And I mean, my freshman year, I had major like identity crisis, like to the point of I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was like clinically depressed, but it would it was like really it really brought me down mm. to where like my purpose, my identity, my value was no longer special. Um, because I looked like so many people. Um, and it's so interesting because I'll talk to fellow Asian American peers and friends and some, it's, it's very different. Some people are like, oh, wow. When I like entered into this community of people who look like me, I got a lot of, um, peace and joy from it. Like it, it just made me feel like at home, if you will. Mm. I was like, it, it threatened my my value and my identity oh yeah that's yes I hear that totally makes sense yes I totally hear that so for you growing up like do you or even now as an adult have there have you experienced anything that has been hurtful you know as an Asian American woman or child yeah you know I think um in general um it's, it, it hasn't become less hurtful. It's been, it's the same thing always has happened. It's just happening less that with more awareness coming, um, in my social groups is like making fun of Asian people stereotypes. Mm. Um, and so like, Oh, it's because you're Asian or like, um, Oh, Michelle, will you do the, will you, uh, split the bill because you're Asian or, <laughs> um, you're oh, you wouldn't. Yeah. Like you're, you, cause all Asians are good enough. And like anything like that, uh, or when people actually make, like make fun of Asian people with like accents and, yeah. um, and like making their eyes small and like all the stuff, mm. but it, it has always hurt. Um, but I would say I am actually still learning how to redefine my response. Um, because in the past I would actually try to beat people to the punch by, by self-deprecating myself Mm. before they could. 
Um, and I, and you know, and again, that would make me seem very self-aware and cool. Cause it's like, Oh wow. She like, she is the same way or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's because it hurts that I'm like, well, I'm going to make fun of myself. I'm not going to let anyone else make fun of me. Right. Um, right. and then now I'm still, um, I'm still learning. Um, but yeah, like if that ever happens, I kind of laugh it off, but I'm, I make it kind of, it's like awkward laugh off, you know? And then, because then you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And then I'm like, Oh, it's fine. okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't ever, I don't even, I don't even say it's fine. I'm just like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know? I just, I just make it really like, I'm like negatively reinforcing um, your behavior with awkwardness. <laughs> and so that's how I'm thrown. <laughs> like, I know what, like, I, I, exactly, progress, not perfection. And so like, you know, I, I am no longer making fun of myself um, for being Asian. So like, I've cut that out. Um, and and I no longer like agree when people make comments, um, but I have yet to learn how to directly correct. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so um, that's the next growth step for me. Yeah, no, that's I love that you share that because I do think that we are all on a journey, and I think that we do have places where there's awareness and growth and development, but it almost, as, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking it's a really Asian response too, to be indirect about it. So it's kind of like this <laughs> passive aggressive, but it's kind of just the indirect, like that's not okay, but it's not like straight up saying it's yeah. not okay. You know? So it's right. a little bit of a, you know, yes. a little bit of an indirect approach to uh, trying to correct uh, hurtful behavior. So that is yeah and i think it's also it's that's why um having you even in my life is so helpful because um hearing or reading you um reading you hearing (laughs) you speak or reading (laughs) um you reading what was so hard words are hard reading (laughs) what you write (laughs) um gives me language Mm. Um, to put to the things that like, I'm, I'm feeling all the feels right now, but I don't know how to articulate this in a way that's like clear. Mm. Um, and yeah, that that's clear. Um, because I would, I would rather it be a productive conversation than like a defensive one. Right. Yes. And so, Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful for you. <laughs> oh, well, the feeling is great. It's very mutual, Michelle. I like you very much. <laughs> so, well, I would love, okay, so this is, I know that you do a whole smattering of everything. Um, mm-hmm. Photography, you model, you're an actor, you've been on Grey's Anatomy. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, so I made it. You made it in some movie. and Oh, just, it's so great. So I'm cheering you on as you are rising into a wonderful place uh, to represent and to just be you know, all of who you've been created to be, which to me, as I, as I, you know, I'm just marveling during our Starbucks meetup where, you know, you were sharing about all the different activities you did as a little girl and, you know, but it's kind of like in the end, nothing is ever wasted. And so 
you that you are able to implement um, the, the, the every lesson, but also, you know, even your journey as, you know, a Korean American woman and growing up the way you have, and it's just none of it's ever wasted. So I, I love that, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I love how right now you're kind of living into so many different factors of your, mm-hmm. you know, multifaceted 20 different activities as a little girl <laughs> type of life. So I would love, yeah, I would love um, if you would share maybe some guiding principles or leadership lessons, you know, as I, I think one of the hopes with this podcast in particular is that as Asian American women, um, we do bring uh, leadership and insight, sometimes uniquely, sometimes it's just that, you know, we're learning from just life experience. But I do think that um, having yeah. a place where we are um, growing and pushing out and leading out, um, I would love for you to share anything that comes to mind in the area of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, nothing is ever wasted. And um, my journey, I would say in terms of like interest in activities would be compartmentalized in like doing everything right like so I was dabbling in everything and I was the quintessential jack of all trades master of none um and ironically in areas that weren't typically um being pursued by other Asian American um kids my age and because then because at the age of 13, I went into acting. And so then I was acting and doing all these other things. And all those other things is actually what informed my acting career because, you know, it, it like really filled out my resume with like different talents and abilities and whatnot. Um, and then when I went to college, that's when I learned that you really do have to be great at one thing to be known for one, like to kind of, you can't, just dabble your whole life. Like you really have to be excellent at something. And so that happened to be photography. And so, um, so my entire college career, I found photography and didn't suck at it. And, uh, and people just would keep hiring me to do things. And so it just kind of turned into this business, but then I had to make a very intentional choice to stop anything that wasn't like, feeding that goal. Mm. Um, and, and I think that was birthed out of this frustration of like, gosh, I'm like interested in so many things, but not great at anything. And like, um, I, it would have been impossible to, for me to ever give anyone a 30 second elevator pitch. Um, and so I just was like, so focused on being the best photographer I possibly could be it's not that all of those other things I once did no longer interested me. I just made, I was like, I just need to, um, in my own maturity and in my growth, like really see something through from start to finish. Mm Um, and, and almost take what my mom taught me of like, you don't quit when it's hard. Um, but do that in one central area. Mm Um, and I think if anything, um, having, interest and being and having pursued so many things it actually um like I know my mom my mom said like uh don't quit just because it's hard but because I had so many interests I never really had to get to the hard part um because I would just go to I would just 
do the other thing once the other like if ballet got too difficult i'm like oh well I, now i have tap mm-hmm. class so i don't need to like be excellent at ballet or whatever um and so anyways like so for four years i just like honed in on photography um built a successful business and then that was like my i will working on a nickelodeon show was my first job ever but my second job um was running my photography business and um that was really the best like career move i could have made um because now i i have i've been officially shooting for 10 years um Mm -hmm. and and like that is something that will always work for me Mm -hmm. um and that's actually been able to afford me the time and um the yeah, it just afforded me the time and the energy to then pursue these other things that have always been there, but it wasn't its time. And, um, and so when this is so silly, but like when I found out that Mulan, they were making a Disney Mulan, yes, yes. um, I, that had to be like four or five, four, three or four years ago, maybe even before that. Um, I remember just thinking, I'm like, this is huge for the Asian American community, like worldwide. Um, and around that time I had already been shooting for like six or seven years. Um, I was married, um, and I was itching to go back into acting, but I was like, man, my, that like train has passed. And, um, and then the Mulan thing happened and I was like, whoa, so this is going to change the industry. And I want to be, like in it, like I want to be in Hollywood, um, mm-hmm. when, when that hit. Um, and so I just started going back into class and, um, just spent a whole year studying acting, still shooting. Um, so basically like doing photography was kind of like my waitressing job. Like I just, yes. I would take enough jobs to afford class. And, um, and, um, and so I did, I, I went to class for a year and then eventually got an agent and took a couple agents to like finally find my right team and fit and whatnot. Um, and yeah, and so now, and then it got to the point where photography was conflicting with acting. Mm-hmm. So I slowly like stopped taking photography jobs mm-hmm. and going on more auditions and then booking more jobs. And then, Um, and there is that really awkward timing piece of when things don't overlap perfectly. But again, that's why having spent the last 10 years, like building my photography business, um, can like, that can always show up for me when the acting is not. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so even in my, this current season of my life where I'm expecting in two weeks, like, um, this year I probably went on like three auditions. Um, and it's been like, you know, no one wants to hire a expecting mother unless you're like already on a job. Like if you're a series regular on a TV show or if you're, you know what I mean? Then like, they'll make it work. But like, if you're, you know, I'm not like a A list or anything. And so, um, so I've just been really taking this time to like, uh, really, give life to this new role of motherhood and like prepare for that. And, um, and then like doing shoots whenever I can. And, um, so I would say like from a career leadership standpoint, like 
I think a lot of people um, jump ship too quickly when mm-hmm. things don't like work out um, like the way that they would think. Um, or it's like the fast track is, it seems attainable, but mm-hmm. when it comes to just putting your head ground and head to the ground and like working day to day and doing the same thing over and over and over again, um, and just being consistent, that is lacking. And, um, I don't, no one, I don't think even taught me that in college. I think I was just living in my own frustration of like, man, I like, this is not working for me. Like I need, I need to, I need to be like solely focused on one thing and be an expert. Um, Oh, I guess the mouth, that Malcolm Gladwell book, Mm -hmm. um, he had a book about like putting in 10,000 hours. Um, and that I don't think I even read it. I think I just heard that and (laughs) ran with it. (laughs) I do that with books too, Michelle. I I totally recommend those books sometimes. Yes. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, put in 10,000 hours. Yes. yeah. Yeah. And so I think, that, um, like putting in that time, I think is so important. And because the misconception is that, um, that you're giving up on the dream if you only choose one thing, mm-hmm. um, or, but like knowing that if it's a dream, um, yes, you need to sow into it. You absolutely will reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. But like, you also have to be realistic of like, well, how are you going to fund the dream? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how are you and like, I, I, at least for me, like I had to think about like quality of life. And so like, there are certain jobs, like photo jobs that I would take that weren't necessarily ones that I would want, but I like, there are jobs I did for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's totally fine. Cause it's like, oh, I need to pay rent. Like, or, oh, you know, yes, and, yes. um, instead of just like living from living for the dream, but it's like, okay, how do I, how do I fund the dream? Mm. Um, and uh, so that's like, that's one big like career takeaway. I would say. Yes. Well, I appreciate um, sharing that because it's to me, even in this generation, it seems to me even our, our Instagram and this uh, instantaneous microwave generation, everything needs yeah. to fast and we're really frustrated if you know the the web browser takes longer than a split second and so that that idea that you're you're pick you're painting for us of investing and really honing and sticking with something following through is uh, I think something that we are this this upcoming generation has a more difficult time doing and tends to jump around a lot more so I really love Mm -hmm. that because it's it's a really, really great quality that doesn't always manifest itself in generation. Yeah. So I love that. Okay, I have a quick like question that's kind of fun, but non-related, but kind of related, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite Asian comfort food? Oh, man. See, I would then have to go into categories of like regions, regions of Asia. So yeah. like my... So like my favorite Vietnamese spring roll is from Brodard's in Garden Grove, specifically there. Um, and then my go-to, like if this was my, the last meal that I have before I die, um, would be this soup, Korean soup called aljige, which basically means fish egg soup. Mm-hmm. And um, and see, this is this information is what would 
qualify as, oh, this is like Michelle being a cool agent because I'm going to say something super weird. (laughs) Um, You know, as opposed to just like sushi. But um, yeah, it's like, it's, um, it's just like spicy. Oh, my, like my cheeks are tingling talking about it. Um, Yeah, it's basically a fish egg soup or like a roe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm a texture girl Mm -hmm. and so like these cooked fish eggs are just like all there's like tiny little balls like squished together and then they just just burst in your mouth and it's just so (laughs) it's amazing okay we must try this i need to experience this because this is one i have not had yet but oh my my god it's like i can hear the enthusiasm and I, I think what's one of the funniest qualities that I have when I'm eating meals with my Asian friends, like we'll be stuffed, but we're still talking about like what we're going to eat next, like, or, you know, next yes, week or what absolutely. we had the, the previous week. I mean, there's just so much around the food and it's just like, we just get so excited about it. <laughs> so I love so it. True. It's, it's, it's yeah. category that we could have. Our <laughs> it gets me through the day. Yes, absolutely. And so we could be starving and thinking about food and we could be full and we're thinking about food. So I love <laughs> that you have like specific places that you have your favorite. Everything. So I'm going to have to get that list from you. For sure. We'll probably have to link up some of these places for the Southern Californians that are listening. Yes. I love that. Tell me a little bit about your marriage and I'm oh, yeah. not married Korean. So Share with us some of your experience. Absolutely. Okay, so my husband is half black, half Jewish, um, but Jewish by, is it heritage? Like his mom is Jewish, so Mm -hmm. is that what it's called? Um, um, And let's see, we're expecting our first, so we're going to have a little uh, quasi-Blasian baby, um, and very excited about that. So we've been married six years going on seven, um, in December. And, um, yeah, so it was not an easy engagement nor dating period because, um, my parents weren't 100% on board with me, not only not marrying a Korean guy, um, but also not marrying an Asian guy. And then let's just say it didn't help that he was half black. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so like those three kind of like misses were not in his favor. And, um, at the time he was a full-time DJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, okay. that was not a doctor. <laughs> he was not a doctor. Yeah. yeah. And so like he was, he was in seminary, um, <laughs> to become a pastor. And the ir- ironic part is that his DJ business, again, fund the dream, right? He wanted yeah. to be a pastor. And yes. so he started a DJ business to like to get him through undergrad, to get him through grad school, um, and wildly successful like corporate and wedding DJ, um, but chose to be a pastor. And so, um, so the funny thing is, is that like Kelly being a pastor, like at least in the Korean world, like doctor, doctor, engineer, lawyer pastor like they're all different like you know what i mean like there's like a high value of pastors um in like a like a status level but it's just so funny because the pay grade is very stark (laughs) 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 and so i'm just glad he's like i'm glad that he at least made the cut in terms (laughs) of like what's what's, (laughs) um 
yeah, what's acceptable to my parents. But um, yeah, the so we've been married seven years. The first uh, two years were really, really tough because um, I felt like I left my parents for my husband. And, but then at the same time, I, my marriage was struggling because I felt like I was always defending my parents to Kelly. Mm. Um, and so I was always kind of defending both. And, um, and I learned like a huge, just like marriage 101 of like, you know, this, you are now one, like you and your husband, you, you and your spouse are now one. Um, and so like, if my husband is not allowed at family functions, then I, and technically I am allowed, I should not go because Mm -hmm. me and my husband are one, you know, and that was very uncomfortable um, because then that just meant that like, Oh, Michelle, you're allowed to to come at Christmas, but Kelly's not. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and so therefore like I would have to choose to not go and then it just would get very messy. And so, um, yeah, but like, you know what we, we thought therapy and counseling from the, we did premarital counseling. We did therapy like the week one of our marriage. And, um, and, uh, one of the things our counselor said and who also, who also is Korean American, which was like such a godsend because, um, there are things I just didn't have to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, um, and she would say like, you know, time equals intimacy. And so the more like time you spend with your parents, like having shared experiences, even if it's literally like a, my mom, like she will, my parents, like no matter what, they'll always bring me food. If they're like driving by, even if we're not in a good place, like <laughs> yes. they always like, I, I made you stew. Like I'm going to drop off. Yes. I love you. And this is the food. Yes. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yes. <laughs> like, um, it's very, it can be very like topically transactional. Yes. Um, <laughs> like regardless that. of like the emotional temperament of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so my, our therapist was just like, you know, time equals intimacy. So just like always, like, at least on your end, like try to be as loving as possible, even within those like quick transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and it will, like, it will eventually build. And so we would just like pray. We prayed for them, my parents all the time. And you know what the crazy thing is? It's like, I never was actually bitter or resentful to my parents. Um, because I knew that they did the best. They like their whole paradigm was shifting. They didn't know what to do with a daughter who married someone outside of their culture. Um, Like that was acceptable for other families, but for our family, no, this is what our family looks like. Even if we didn't talk about it that way. Um, And then, and then also like, having discussions with my mom of how it was actually her fear of the kind of life that she thought I would be entering into by marrying a black man Mm -hmm. uh, because of what, of the stereotypes that she saw in her realm of work. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, so it's, so I say that she raised us to quote unquote be colorblind. Right. But, but 
she was conflicted because she's like, I am not racist. I am not racist, mm. but I know people are, you know? And, but again, it's still, it's all still fear-based and I'm not making excuses for her, but it does explain. I, I just had to like, that was the only way I could maybe survive and not writhe in resentment is just to seek empathy. Mm. And, um, for my mom. And so I'm like, Oh man, like she, she's like surrounded by the stereotypes. She knows like she herself has experienced probably more racism than I've experienced. Mm. Um, she knows that it exists. Um, she knows how, let's say people in her Korean community respond to people who don't marry within, uh, the same ethnic group. Right. You know, like she's just intaking all of this information from her own personal experience and projecting that upon like this like doomed future that mm. could be a, that could be avoided if I just married a Korean guy. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. And so like yes. like I she would she would even say like I I'm so conflicted because like <laughs> this is so funny, but she'd be like, I love black people. <laughs> <laughs> because they're like they're they don't look like you or you know like yeah. i don't want i don't want your your child to be at a disadvantage again mm. all fear sure that's like totally her paradigm um and by doing so by by letting that fear take over um she was actually you know what you fear controls you mm. and so the exact thing she was fearing she was also becoming yeah. So, you yeah. know, and, um, and it was not rational, totally emotional. And, um, I think at a certain point she just kind of realized she's like, Oh man, like Kelly's a really good guy. He's godly. He loves my wife. Like mm -hmm. he has displayed so much character. Like he's never like, you know, my parents technically have given Kelly a lot of reason to like write them off you know mm -hmm. and he's just been so gracious and loving and um and also like kind of like goes along with things that are just like i this is so inappropriate but like whatever you know <laughs> like, yeah. like it's like um i gotta stay like focused on kingdom-minded stuff not like how i prefer to be treated uh, like Kelly will be the only one that little things like, you know, uh, he doesn't, he's the only one at the table who doesn't get chopsticks, even though he's like, well, little stuff like that. Um, or I don't know if this is, you could cut this out if it's inappropriate, but like, um, like we'd go to a buffet and my dad would be like, Kelly, they have the best fried chicken. <laughs> and like you will love their fried chicken, <laughs> but like that's my dad's attempt sure. to like yes. like we chose Thank a restaurant you. that we think you would love. <laughs> yes, like trying to make build a bridge yes. with whatever yes. the stereotype yeah. is. <laughs> oh bless! Oh, Karen. yeah, so stuff no. like that. I know. No, so you know it's it stuff like that, and then like and you just sometimes you just can't like you can be like okay. Kelly doesn't really like fried chicken or, mm -hmm. oh, he, Kelly loves fishy or he loves Korean food or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And like, so you, you just graciously, you know, respond because when you, it, it's just too exhausting to stay offended. Yeah. Um, sometimes. And so all to say, um, we are all good. Um, honestly, by the grace of God, because we have had so many people praying for us. We have been praying. My parents are like, love Kelly. Um, my, they could not be more thrilled to be grandparents, um, to a quasi blazing baby. Um, and like the other day, my mom even said, she's like, Oh, he's going to be so beautiful. I can't wait to meet little Deacon. And Mm -hmm. I almost was like, I was almost like in tears because that is so not what she would have said seven years ago. Um, you know, if anything, she said like really hurtful things regarding my unborn child and people would always tell me like, you know, once you have kids, like your parents will come around. I'm like, yeah, that might be true. But I also like, I don't necessarily want my, I I would hope that our relationship would mend before we bring a child into the picture. And, and it has, you know? And so, um, because I, I don't know, I just didn't necessarily want my child to be like a peace treaty. Um, totally. And, um, and yeah, so it's been, it's been a journey, uh, but yeah, another kind of funny thing that Kelly and I say is like, we've been married, let's, let's say seven now. Cause it's like a couple months. Um, it's coming up, but like, we'll say like, Oh, we've been married seven years, but like happily for three, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, because the first three to four years were just really tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, we didn't know what a honeymoon phase was, but at the same time, so great because we put in the work we like went to the mm-hmm. nitty gritty mm-hmm. um and like our foundation is solid <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> you I know because i think that there's sometimes um i think especially in the asian community there can be uh, a stigma with seeking professional help with therapy and therapists mm-hmm. and, and all that and i just think it's so great that you to saw that the value of the marriage and to want to start off with a solid foundation and getting help to navigate because not only yeah. do you have the difference between male and female, you also have the difference with cultures, backgrounds, expectations, who did what in which home. And so, it, it, and let's face it, premarital counseling, you can talk through some things, but it's just not the same because after you get married, it's like, right. oh, it's a whole different thing when you're actually waking up and he's still there. <laughs> you know? so, exactly. Yeah. So it really, I think it really brings out a lot in our own lives, our own character strengths and defects and all of that needing to be worked through. So I, I love that. And yeah. I love um, the, the, I think what you're describing as far as um, fighting for your marriage and needing to sift through and still seek to honor your parents, but also understand that, you know, trying to see things from their perspective as well. And I think that that really mm-hmm. does make a difference, you know, with empathy versus defensiveness and all of that. Totally. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. that, Michelle, because I do think increasingly, you know, there are more and more mixed race couples and mixed race children. And there's a whole um, change that's taking place, you know, demographically. And it's, it's all a part of our experience, but it, I think you sharing your story, I think is going to help a lot of listeners as well. And I'm just grateful. Yeah. 
to do that. So. Thank you. Thank you. So very fun. Okay. So my last question, um, I don't know if you've spent much time thinking about this. So if you haven't, we, we can skip over it, but um, you have a little baby coming. What is one part of your Korean American heritage that you hope your son will um, absorb and even pass on to his own children one day? Yeah. So um, this was a real honor to uh, include my parents in. Um, so a tradition is that the parents typically, and uh, uh, the grandparents name the grandchild's Korean name. Mm. And so I, I invited my parents to um, kind of pray about and ask like God, like, Hey, we, and we said like, will you just like, ask the Lord for like wisdom on what you want Deacon's Korean name to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they did, and they came back um, with a name and, um, and that was like really, really special. Um, and so I can't remember what the name is at the moment. So I have to look back at my text messages because <laughs> that's what, that's one thing. Yes. And then, um, I, I, for sure, I, I told my, my parents, I was like, I would love, cause my mom's going to be living with us for a month. Um, when, once he comes and, um, I asked them if they would be willing to only speak to him in Korean. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I would, because I, I only spoke to my grandparents in Korean mm. and that's kind of like, I mean, I don't see them as often as I would like. And so I feel like that is how like I didn't end up picking it up as much as I um, would have liked to, but um, I do foresee my parents being really involved in Deacon's life. And so um, if they just speak to him in Korean um, exclusively and, um, and then the third thing is um, I'm really excited about um, his first birthday, which will be kind of like a, um, a, a mashup of what is typically the hundred day celebration called the toll D O H L. Mm-hmm. And, um, because historically, you know, babies didn't live past a hundred days. And so, um, it's a big deal when they did. And so there's, um, so hundred day celebrations are a big deal, but in an Americanized form, it's like, Oh, one year just kind of makes more sense. Sure. Um, and so we're going to for sure do that. And I feel like because, um, and people would always, and nowadays, um, with coordinators and, nah, 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 and me being <laughs> from the wedding industry, like it can be like a big deal. And like, uh, Kelly and I didn't really have, um, we had like a small wedding, but didn't really have like a proper, um, didn't have the wedding of our dreams. Let's just say that. Sure, and, sure. um, and I'm just really excited to like plan this party, like with, like with my parents and, mm-hmm. um, have their involvement and like bring in all the traditional like rice cakes. And, and this is like truly my, my, um, way of presenting all things Korean culture to my friends, like unashamedly. Yes. And, um, I'm so excited about his first birthday, um, because I don't know. I just feel like this is the first time that I not can, but I've, I've chosen to really embrace it fully and not take shortcuts to 
to kind of accommodate people who wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're just gonna because this is even this is bigger than Deacon. This is like this is racial reconciliation. My family. Yes, yes. Um, this is you know yes the celebration of his birth and it, but it's also like um, also just me just embracing my culture and like just doing something because it's been done for however long. Yeah, like I'm just gonna do it because that's just the tradition. I love it. You know? That's when so, the baby goes and crawls toward their future. Yeah. They have that I've, exactly I've on the blanket. There's like a, a stethoscope and a book and whatever. And so they, whatever uh-huh. they're crawling toward will potentially be their future. Yeah. Future, yeah. Yeah. future yeah. career. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, you have a camera. So. <laughs> well, what oh, I know. Right. Well, Kelly's like, he's like, you know, I really, he, Kelly's funny. Cause he's like, I, I don't know how I feel about, like like um limiting our son to like monetary like <laughs> like right. of, like a monetary value right, like right. is he only valuable if he's a doctor or whatever you right, know right. like what if we have like um uh um like a bible <laughs> like, <laughs> like, thinking, like we yeah maybe a camera a bible yes, um like something a yeah microphone. exactly Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway. Right. Yep. So, Michelle, uh, share, <laughs> share one of your share a moment where you felt proud about your Asian American heritage. Yeah. So, um, one of the first experiences that came to mind um, was when I booked this um, my first series regular, not series regular. When I booked the. Um, a recurring role on a Nickelodeon show. And the reason why that was a big deal as an Asian American is because one, it was originally supposed to go to a white male. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the role was for a white male and um, I believe they casted it. And then, um, and then he got sick. And so then they just like opened it up and, um, and I ended up booking it. And so not only did it change from white male, I think they changed it to white female. And then, um, and then they, and then I don't know how I even got in the room for it. Um, and they ended up choosing like an Asian American female. Mm-hmm. And I remember in that moment, I was like, wow, like how often are we limited by like, what we think something should be and 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 also that was that was supposed to be a one episode show one episode um role for me and it ended up being like a whole season and that's kind of like what catapulted my acting career and so um that was like a really that was a proud moment as an asian american because i was like oh wow like this i feel like i had a equal chance here mm. and it really just went to the best person mm-hmm. not the best asian girl or the you know what i mean yes, um totally. and because even now like um i i find that i don't actually end up none of the roles i actually booked um as an adult like in the last couple of years have been asian woman um mm. it's been like open ethnicity or just like anybody wow and i love that so um yeah so that's like really really cool it shows kind of where the industry is going Mm -hmm. and um 
so, and like, it is just a great time to be a person of color right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm just very, very thankful. Cause I just remember it, the roles were so limited, um, as a kid. Um, yeah. and so, so for me to have booked that as a 13 year old, um, was like a really big deal for something that is like more common now. Yes. Oh no, I love that. And I I am such a huge firm believer in hashtag representation matters and what Mm -hmm. that means for any Asian American watching the show going, Hey, there's someone who looks like me and there's just, um, right. And to be able to not be cast in um, the stereotypical nerdy, awkward, just, I love that. So thanks for being in that, in the field and in the industry and um, making us proud. <laughs> <laughs> Doing my part. Yes, let's do that. Well, I am so. so thrilled for you and for Kelly and sweet baby Deacon. And I just love that you have, are on journey, have been on journey, continue to be on journey, um, embracing all of who you are, including your Korean American heritage. And I love just having this conversation with you. So thank you so much oh my for goodness, of course. taking the time. So I'm excited. how can people find you? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's Michelle Kim McCoy. And um, in terms of like acting jobs, I have my little IMDb. <laughs> so you can like look up, up on that. And um, yeah, that's pretty much like where I'm at. That's so great. Well, we will definitely link these in show notes. I'm still in my mind going, I'm just saying these things, but I'm not sure exactly how it all works, but it'll be there. It will be there somehow. (laughs) We'll have a photo. Maybe we can get a picture of the baby when he comes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Thank you so So much. One of the first guests on Sunday. Such an honor to have you. Such an honor. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Someday Is Now. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to leave a review so others can find out about the show. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Someday Is Now possible. The Someday Is Now logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung, The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. Director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Runnels. Have a great week, and we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Now.